just past seven o'clock and what do you know time for ira on sports true oldies channel got so much to get to tonight ira so let's hop right into it we do have a Dak Prescott signing. Just uh, inked moments ago, breaking news here on Ira on Sports. Dak Prescott going to be a Cowboy for four years, $160 million with $126 million guaranteed. We'll talk more about that a lot tonight coming up. But first, we've got two great guests. One, Ken Kennerly is going to join us in just a second. He's the director of the Honda Classic. He's amazing. We've had him on this show countless times, and he joins us in a minute. And then Ira... I wasn't familiar with this gentleman, but I probably should have been because he's arguably the most famous promoter of all time. Russell Peltz is going to join us at 745. Tell us about him. Well, I'm just saying, is he, if anyone watched The Crown and you had Meghan Markle's interview and all that other stuff, that's royalty. <laughs> Russell Peltz is boxing royalty. He is in the International Boxing Hall of Fame. He's promoted all the biggest fights. Um, it's an honor for him here. And the reason he is here on our show is that in 1971, 50 years ago on March 8th, was some people called the greatest sporting event of all time and uh, when uh, Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier two undefeated heavyweights uh, fought and it was like the biggest event in Madison Square Garden which just opened and he was actually in the arena Crazy. which is going to be cool and you've seen him on ESPN today they've been people have really been talking about this and it's going down as like one of those events and of course I was a little too young I've been to a lot of sporting <laughs> you events you would have been there I would have been enough. there I'm like upset that my parents when I was like a little kid maybe I was like what three two three years old maybe they could have <laughs> taken me there but uh, yeah. uh, but no no, I would have loved it. It would have been. Well, it's gonna be exciting to have him on and talk about that. Uh, let's go to our good friend of the show. He's Ken Kennerly, director of the Honda Classic. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. And you gotta be uh, getting stressed out. It's really crunch time here. The Honda Classic's right around the corner. Well, good evening. Yeah, no, it is around the corner. It's gonna be a, a phenomenal event, as we always have here in Palm Beach County, of course. But uh, certainly a little bit different amongst our, our COVID uh, COVID times around. But it'll be a good event. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, Ken, thanks a lot for coming. Uh, this is Ira. Um, tell us about the tickets. Now, there are 10,000 fans a day that are going to be allowed. Exactly what do people do? I mean, they can, it, things are different now. They can't just show up there, buy tickets. You, you have to order them in first. And, and what is actually available in terms of ticket options for the event? Well, yeah. So, our, you know, the PGA Tour um, approved our plan for about, as you said, 10,000 tickets per day, roughly 20 to 25 percent of our capacity, our normal capacity. So, you know, right there, we're extremely limited. However, uh, you know, one of one of the things that we've done and people will see out there is it, it looks it looks like a proper tournament. I mean, we have we have our uh, private and shared hospitality on the 18th hole. It looks very similar to what it's looked like in the past. Of course, it'll be limited in terms of the number of people that will be allowed into the sky suites. There will be no air conditioned chalets this year, so everything will be open air. Um, capacities will range from 16 in the sky suite up to about 24, whereas in the past we had anywhere from 38 to 50 in a similar size structure. The Champions Club on 18 will be there, again, open air, um, but that's sold out already on the weekends, which is great. And then as we move down to 17, we're going to have our Waterford Club at 17. We'll have our sky suites as well as our Ambassadors Club. And a new product that we're introducing down on 17 where the military appreciation pavilion was the cabanas. So we'll have, I believe we're building 12 cabanas and the Couture Club will be down there. And then, of course, when you get down to the iconic, the Gosling's Bear Trap will be in play. And, you know, it'll be it'll be different instead of five to six thousand people per day. It'll be uh, roughly eleven hundred people per day in three different zones, uh, approximately three hundred and fifty to four hundred 
uh, per people uh, per day in each of those zones, and people won't be able to cross. But you know, the good news is we've got you know 10,000 fans this past week at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. There were 5,000 fans. And if you watched any of that, it looked good on TV. It was great to hear the crowd um, getting behind the players. I know the players are so pumped up about having live sports again, and you know the adrenaline that comes from the crowd. Uh, supporting them is, is terrific. So, you know, the, we're, we're going to have, it's going to be limited, but it's, it's going to be good. And we're going to have a number of, as I said, number of people out there, face coverings all uh, will be in play. You'll have to wear your face covering when you're walking, even throughout the, uh, the golf course. Of course, you know, if you eat or drink, you can, you can take your face covering down. But those are mandates that have been put in place by the PGA Tour, and we're following our strict uh, social protocol guidelines, uh, you know, li- literally to the, to the, uh, to the uh, to the degree. But there will be food, there will be drink, there will be everything like, I mean, probably not as much as there was in years past, but there's still going to be, you're going to have amenities there. It's not going to be, you're just going to have uh, just water out. There's actually going to be food and drink out there for you. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, we're, it's, look, it's, it's a proper tournament. I mean, this tournament is the 15th year for us, PJ National, and we took over this tournament. You know, I could tell you what people will see out there next week. It's going to be better than what we were even in the first two years after we took over the event. So, yeah, there are amenities out there. The concession stands are out there. The bars are out there. Of course, the Gosling Spare Trap's in play. We're going to have our partners like Tito's and others. We won't have the great, famous Tito's structure, but Tito's will have a, a pretty good presence out there. A great partnership with Corona and the Seltzer World will be out there at 15, and also they'll have other other areas so yeah you're going to have you're going to have plenty of things to do for the general public as well as the you know the corporate sponsor that's come in to sponsor the you know one of their private hospitality so it's it's going to be great i mean we're going to have uh, a lot of action we're going to have a lot of energy out there uh, obviously the the few things that we will not have are the after play concert series the the family days you know in the past we've been so successful and in kids 15 and younger get in for free but you know because we're limited by day, we just can't have you know the doors open to everybody, and and also you know people need to also understand that uh, you will not be able to purchase a ticket at the gate. So we encourage anyone that wants to come to the Honda to get online uh, pretty quickly and buy your tickets because tickets are slowly getting to the this, the sellout process. As I mentioned, the Champions Club is sold out on the weekends. Waterford Club is still available. The Bear Trap, uh, a few of the zones are available on some of the days as well. So. Um, it's going to be it's going to be great. We've got the best players in the world descending into Palm Beach County next week, um, and I, I think that when people get out there and see what we've been working on for the past literally 12 months, I mean, 53 weeks ago is when we finished the uh, the last Honda Classic. We were the second to last tournament to get finished. So it, it's um, our, our team has come a long way. The thought process, the planning, the strategy. Um, you know, the collaboration with the PGA Tour, the collaboration with many, many other events that we have uh, spent a lot of time with has been significant, and it's going to be rolled out next week at PJ National. And how do you suggest, a lot of questions people ask me is, how do I get there? Is now with, is there parking available? Should people Uber? What's the way you're suggesting that people get to uh, PGA National? No, thank you. I mean, it's, you know, a lot, a lot of the same. I mean, while it's different, a lot of it is the same. So we'll have our parking lots. We will not be at Dyer Park just because we don't need to be. So we're, we're, um, we'll be at uh, Mirasol. Uh, those parking credentials come with a lot of the sponsorship packages. And then Ballon Isles, John Bills is a great partner of ours, and he owns the land right in front of Ballon Isles on PJ Boulevard. So that'll be a cash lot, so people will be able to park in there 
cash, and then, of course, the rideshare. The rideshare, which was, you know, in excess of 12,000 pickups and drop-offs last year, will be in full play at the Honda Classic once again. And, of course, just like, you know, when people go into a parking lot before they get onto any bus, before they get on to the, uh, the Uber, before they get in through the main gate, you know, we're going to make sure that everyone has the proper protocols in place and, you know, reminded to mask up and reminded to, you know, temperature checks and, you know, all that will be in play. Um, you know, people need to be responsible. People understand the mandates that, that we and the PGA Tour and other events, frankly, have put out there. And I suspect that uh, we'll have very few people that try to, uh, to buck the system and people understand that they're going to come to the tournament, they're going to be safe, they're going to be respectful and courteous to their their fellow spectator as well. So I think it's, um, I, I don't think, I know it's going to be very, very successful. And, you know, safety at the end of the day is really our number one priority for everybody. So make sure they come out there and they feel safe. And I love the field this year because, again, a lot of people say, how many in the top 10, how many in the top 20? But you have a lot of big names. I mean, players that have won. I mean, the amount of major champion winners is I like 15 or 16 major champion winners, different players. Um, and you have Phil Mickelson back. And Phil is, Phil is a huge draw no matter what. And to have Phil back in the tournament, I, I mean, he's been here a couple times. I just, he's just been so much fun, so engaging with the crowd. Just great to have him back at the Honda. Oh, Phil is Phil is legendary. I mean, if you think about Phil and Tiger, the modern day Jack and Arnold, right? I mean, you know, our generation grew up with a little bit of Nicholas and Palmer, but of course Tiger and Phil. And it's amazing the reach that Phil Mickelson has, not only in the game of golf and the world of golf, but as an iconic sportsman around the world. So, for Phil to join us, uh, for him to come back after he was here for three years in a row. Uh, 14, 15, 16, for him to come back. I know he enjoys PJ National. He's played PJ National fairly well. And I think what's even equally as exciting, Ira, is you know he's you know he's going to build a home here. So he and his wife are going to move here. Uh, they're going to move out of California, and um, you know they're in the process. I know they bought some property up at Jupiter Island, and it's going to be great to have Phil Mickelson as another you know local superstar here in our great community. And going to some local, I mean, local younger superstars uh, is uh, Daniel Berger at 27 years old. We know Daniel from the the, the playoff he had against Potty Harrington in, in 2015, I think, when he lost in the playoffs. But he's 15th in the world. Um, he's after the after the break. He's on, arguably one of the hottest players in third, second, and a third, and a first at Charles Schwab. Uh, he won Pebble Beach the Pro Am two weeks ago. It's going to be awesome to have him back here playing great at the Honda Classic. Well, you know, Daniel Berger and Brooks Kepka literally the two homegrown superstars, right? They're both born in Palm Beach County. They both went to high school here and uh, played here as, you know, played at PJ National as junior vets as well. Then you've got Ricky Fowler, and we have so many other great young players that, that will be joining us, uh, you know, at, at PJ National this, this coming week. It's going to be fantastic. It's just great to see the support that we get from so many of our local players and you know, I think, as we always have on the weekend, we're going to have a fantastic leaderboard. That bear trap has become iconic, as we know. Jack Nicholas sits in the booth on Sunday, talks the leaders through the bear trap, uh, just like he did last year when Sunshine beat, um, you know, Tommy Fleetwood and others coming through the bear trap. It's, it's, it's a magical time of the year for us. It's an amazing time for our, our, our fans, our community. People come out, enjoy themselves. They network. They see other people in the community, and at the same time, they're all, they're all raising money for, for charitable causes. And, you know, that, that's going to take a little bit of a hit this year, of course. We, we raised $5.3 million last year. 
uh, with a lead gift to the Nicholas Children Tough Care Foundation of close to a million and a half dollars. Um, so if, we, if we're able to raise a couple million dollars this year, considering the the limitations that we have on us, both from a spectator standpoint, sponsorship standpoint, et cetera, et cetera, it, it's, it's going to be very, very successful. Yeah, and you know the, we had uh, Sanjay M one last year, defending champion, uh, a great young golfer. And then you know, bring up you have Matthew Wolf, who moved here, was from California, but moved here and has played in three majors, and he's been second and a fourth in his three majors. And then you have uh, Yaki Neiman from Chile, who's who's a great young golfer, also also coming up. And Cameron Smith of Australia, who we saw on TV the last couple of weeks, playing awesome. So it, it's like this: you have this great mix of some veterans like the Lee Westwoods and the Adam Scotts and the Sergio Garcias, but also these great young players that are emerging that we're going to see you know winning majors in the future well you mentioned lee westwood how great was it watching him play last week against um, you know bryson dechambeau i mean this guy is a class act i've known him a long time we gave him an exemption last year into the honda classic he top five did i think he finished in fourth place last year it's, you know he's 47 years old so not old by many standards but certainly on the older side of the professional golf circuit but you know, he's playing beautiful golf, and he didn't back down at all yesterday, and uh, it, it's just it's just great to see. And, you know, I'm really looking forward. We were able to give him another exemption this year. You mentioned Patty Harrington, two-time winner of the Honda Classic, Ryder Cup captain. You mentioned Matthew Wolf. I mean, there, our field is so deep, to your point. The field itself is so, so deep. There's so many great names. I mean, Graham McDowell, uh, Shane Larry, the Open Championship winner from uh, – you know, Long Port Rush a couple of years ago. I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, there's so many major champions that are in our field, and they love the golf course because it's it's fair, but it's hard. And the better players in the world like the competitive golf courses. We've only been in double digits under par once in our 15 years, so we'll have to see what happens again this year. But it's it's just a great test of golf. It's right there in front of you. The guys love it. The guys love the fact that they come to the city of Palm Beach Gardens. They come to Palm Beach County. You know, we live in the best place on the planet, and it's just it's a testament to all the hard work, our team, our great partners in the media like you and Mike, and all of our other great you know partners out there as well. It's just a testament that we're all coming together to produce something that we're really proud of that's going to be televised literally around the world as the PJ Tour does week in and week out. Well, Ken, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and talking about the Honda Classic next week. It's in two weeks. Next week, we're going to have on the show um, some other golfers that are participating. I mean, last year, we had Keith Mitchell. We had Jim Herman on. Uh, we expect to have three or four golfers on next week talking about you know what they say. I mean, you bring back, I think there's 10 past champions that come back. So clearly, the golfers that play in this want to come back and play. They enjoy it. Everyone says it's like one of the best events on the entire tour. So I really appreciate you coming in and talking about it. And I know you're going to be busy the next two weeks, but it's certainly thanks for Thanks for doing everything to get this tournament, you know, going and, and keep it and keep it going through these uh, tough times. Well, we love it. We love what you guys do. We can't thank you enough for your support. It all starts with you all because, you know, your listeners are the people that are supporting us, you know, year in and year out. So thanks a lot again, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ken. Always love uh, Ken Kennerly popping by here on Iron Sports. Truly, um, he's an icon here in the Palm Beach Gardens and West Palm Beach community, and we're uh, we're always excited for the Honda Classic. Again, me and you, it's like the most fun week of the year here um, in, in South Florida. So let's talk about the golf event that we just witnessed over the weekend. Bryson DeChambeau, nice win for him at Bay Hill. You can dislike Bryson, you can love him, but there's one thing you can't deny. He's exciting. 
And I don't know if it's great for golf, but I think it's good for the casual fan seeing someone do stuff so differently than everybody else. Yeah, I mean, on the sixth hole, everyone talked about how there's this <laughs> lake, and you know, on Saturday and Sunday, he needed a 377-yard <laughs> drive to go after it. He had a ball speed of 100 miles an hour, and it was just uh, for him to go over the water. I think uh, the, on the one hole on Sunday, he was down, uh, Westwood was down back 188 yards, but they still birdied the hole. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, he goes for it. You like to see someone try to hit the ball far. Um, certainly, he was very complimentary toward Arnold Palmer, very complimentary to, to Tiger, who actually sent him some motivation. Uh, it was a good win. I thought Sunday, I mean, I was at a baseball game at the minor league game, so I caught like from set hole seven back, and it was almost a match play event uh, from the whole time. Essentially, I mean, yeah. They, for 15 holes, Westwood and Bryson were only one 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 stroke apart. I mean, there was a point where um, that, uh, that, uh, that Westwood had to hit a 30-foot birdie putt to tie on 12, and then, but he bogeyed on 14 to give it back. And then on 15, he made this big par putt to stay just one back, so he, he had in there and then on 16 Westwood had that easy uh, four foot birdie putt to, to, to tie at 11 under and he, he couldn't do it he missed it so he stayed one back and remember Bryson after the fifth hole just parred every hole but it was not just easy parts it was up and you know making mm-hmm. putts and everything and then on 17 they both parted on 18 Bryson was up one and you're waiting for like you know is he going to take it easy of course he pulverizes the tee <laughs> shot he's way up but they're on the green and he was in good position but he actually in a putt he had like a two two putt to, to, to win and he went too far on the first putt and then Westwood sank a 10 foot putt to put pressure on, on Bryson to par that hole because he had like a I guess he had like a six foot par putt made it and that was it but it was it got exciting there on the 18, you know, when you're, when you're, so I, I was, it was fun to see that. Uh, Jordan Spieth, I think he's just three out of four tournaments now. He's been in on mm. Sunday in the name uh, at six under. Uh, Max Homa, who we saw at, at the Genesis, who won that, was three under. Rory McElroy again on a Sunday, just waiting for him to. It's just make weird. a move. I make a move. He <laughs> shot a 76. He was four strokes back to start, and I, everybody had trouble on Sunday. Everyone was in the in the high 70s. Nobody in the 60s. Yeah, nobody in the 60s. And then Ricky Fowler made the cut, but still finished at at plus 11. And Patrick Reed was the the one player that missed the cut. So it was it was exciting to see that match play between Westwood, who played really smart against Bryson. You know, certainly Bryson could outdrive Westwood Westwood on every hole, but Westwood Westwood's this was this great young golfer, and then he had like that 10 year law, and now he's back and he got. <laughs> Exactly the Honda. He's like 35th in the world right now. It, it's crazy. And we all, everyone roots for Lee Westwood. He's one of the nicest guys out there. Um, we, with Jordan Speed, this is another. I, I know that everyone didn't play great on Sunday, at least score wise. But I'm looking for him to have that Sunday. Like I was looking for Jordan Speed to make a move from right off the first tee. Never quite had it. I mean, he shot. In the 60s, two rounds, shot a 70. The other, he shoots a 70, he's tied here. And, and instead, he's five strokes off with a 75. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, look, Jordan Spieth was barely, he was like ranked right, 70th in the world. So it's great that he's now in this mix. He's finishing in the top 10s. And uh, I think if you're asking Jordan Spieth, would you rather just turn it on a Sunday at the Masters? You'd take that over <laughs> over, over the uh, Bay Hill. But, I mean, the point is, it was, uh, it was. I thought it was exciting. I mean, they st- certainly, this is Arnold Palmer's tournament, and they honored him well. Uh, Bryce and, and Jordan and the players that were in it, I think it's really great. I mean, I, I, I want to see this tournament still do still be a positive thing on the tour because Arnold Palmer meant so much to golf, and 
it's great that uh, these players all go to this tournament and, and treat it with uh, you know the reverence. And you saw the picture of Jordan Spieth sitting in Arnold Palmer's office and sitting in the chair yeah. and and the, and the letter that I think Arnold Palmer wrote a letter to Bryson and Bryson it was like one of the few last letters he wrote before he passed away. Mm -hmm. And Bryson has it framed and showed the letter. It was very nice. Did you happen to see Tiger Woods reached out to Bryson as yes. well, which is a, a great gesture from Tiger. And it's cool to see their friendship. And it was really nice. Did you happen to see the snafu with the starter and Ricky Fowler? Yeah. So on Saturday, he comes out. And the guy says from, like, Moretta, California, not Marietta, Ricky Flower to the <laughs> T. And Ricky's like, what? But it was obviously a sign of things to come uh, for Ricky that weekend. It's Iron Sports 724. I'm Mike Balsamo. At 745, we're going to have uh, Russell Peltz join us, famous um, promoter, and he's going to have some uh, interesting stories. This should be uh, really fun. So, Ira, we mentioned earlier, breaking news here on Iron Sports, Dak Prescott, probably going to be a cowboy for the next four years unless they – trade him or cut him but he's getting 126 million guaranteed four years 160 million is the is this is the uh is the terms of the contract here well understand is they they franchised Dak Prescott last year at 33 then he uh broke his ankle. So it's, it just shows you that they're confident with his recovery. And if you're a Cowboy fan, you're thinking Dak's going to be back for next year. They wouldn't be guaranteeing $120 million to somebody who they don't think has a good ankle to be able to come back. Um, and the issue was, were they going to franchise him again? If they franchise him again, it would be $38 million in cap room. And then they really, the third time you franchise, it's, it goes 120% from their previous year. If you franchise him again, 140% would be $50 million in cap. It wouldn't work out. And the way they were able to do that, instead of giving him $38 million, we just got these numbers, so I'm just trying to figure this out. So it seems like the way they worked it out is that it's actually less money, was able to save money on the cap perspective. It seems mm -hmm. like it's four years with the guarantee. They might have saved like, I don't know, seven, eight million by signing him because you can take the, the signing bonus across the contract. $66 million signing bonus, I should say. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> just saw that coming. But in. I think that must have been a way to do that. I mean, that's what he won. I mean, in the end, he said he wanted a four-year contract. But actually, last year, he wanted a four-year contract, so they really, they franchised him, now he has a five-year contract. Yeah, it's what they so wanted. It was so it sort of whatever. <laughs> I mean, Kirk Cousins, it's funny, for the Redskins, he, he had signed a, a $20 million contract, 24 and 28, and then he signed, uh, uh, then he signed three years guaranteed, so he, he made $130 million in five years. I think he's one of the, earned the most money in guaranteed money over the last five years, and he's been, what, he's an average quarterback, yeah. per se. So he played the franchise chat you know, I think Dak Prescott wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy quarterback. So, I mean, I think this whole thing was they wanted him. He wanted them. They was just arguing, trying to figure out the, the money situation. And, and, and it's really important to understand the money. What the problem with the money in the salary cap is that every year. So in 2011, the cap was 120. And this isn't like baseball. Some of the other caps where you can go over. You can't go over these caps. Like it's, it's a hard cap. So then it was 155 and 167 in 2017, 177 in 2018. It just went up like almost 10 million every year. But so last year was 198. Now it's going to be down to 185. So now it's going to go down 13. Well, these teams were playing that was going to go up to like 210, 215. And so now they are really cutting. You are going to see, and we saw this week, Carl Van Noy uh, uh, from the, the, the Dolphins. Yep. He signed a four-year $51 million contract, but he was cut. And he was the captain of the defense because it was just, there's no, there, these teams are just trying to find money because now you're you're actually 20 million down less than what you thought you were. Yeah, Carlos Dunlap uh, released today by the Seahawks. That's going to save them a bunch of money. The Giants 
looking to cut someone. They don't know if it's going to be Leonard Williams or or uh, Zeitler, the right guard. So, yeah, a lot of teams are having to restructure now. I don't know how the Cowboys are affording all this, Ira, because they just seem to be giving out money left and right. <laughs> but, uh, he, he, you know, they got it done, so good for them. Well, that's and that's the question we talk about quarterbacks and why this draft is so crucial. Because when your quarterback position, when you can pay someone uh, more more like $7, 8000000 million a year than 38 $40, <laughs> $40 you are saving $30 million. You need that money. I mean, that was what they put the rookie wage scale. Bradford had it made six years, $86 million in 2011. Cam Newton the next year, four years, $22 million. So that's where it just, because they didn't want the rookies, the veterans didn't want the rookie at all sports. They know veterans yeah. don't want these rookies making all this money, and it's taking away from veteran money. But I think what we're going to see is the the Jets have this really tough call. The Jets have a ton of cap room. They haven't paid any players. Do they stay with Sam Darnold under his rookie deal? They sign free agents because you have all these free agents that are going to be on the market. No one's going to have any money. Mm-hmm. So this will be really interesting what the Jets decide to do. Do they trade Sam Darnold? And use, I mean, there are so many picks. I think the Jets, to me, at the number two position. Remember, Miami's at number three. So, But the Jets at two are going to be really, what do they do? If they stay Darnold, do they bring in Zach Wilson? Because they're talking up Zach Wilson from the— uh, Some people have him higher than Trevor Lawrence on their board, like Chris Sims. From BYU. But are the Jets talking him up so maybe they can trade that pick? Mm -hmm. They trade that pick, get a bunch of other first-round picks. Then they sign free agents. They have draft picks, and they use Sam Darnold as their their quarterback. Uh, Is this a way? I mean, the Jets, there's a lot of pressure. This number two pick for the Jets, I think, is the whole draft comes down to that. I do think they're going to move off Sam Darnold, but it's just a matter of who's going to take him. What are you going to get back for him? But I think they're all going to go in on Zach Wilson, or if something crazy happens and Trevor doesn't go uh, number one overall. He'll go number one. He's going to go number one. But like I said, Chris Sims, who's supposed to be the quarterback guru, has Zach Wilson ahead of him now. So... Uh, crazier things have happened, but yeah, I think Urban Meyer and Jacksonville set on uh, Trevor Lawrence. You're right, though, that that Jets pick is going to be interesting. And then the Dolphins pick, they're going to have the pick of skill position players there. I'd like to see Jamar Chase come here to South Florida, but I don't know what's going to happen with that. The LSU wide receiver who sat out last year, so that's the other issue. There is so much going on because some of these players are going to be drafted high, haven't played in two years. Um, This is going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. His stock is hugely boosted because Justin Jefferson was the number two on that LSU team. He had the best uh, rookie year of any wide receiver, and this guy was ahead of him. So I think he's going to go top 10. Uh, Jamar Chase, I think we'll see that happen. Iron Sports, 729, True Oldies Channel. So Ira, we were rushed, obviously, with Ken Kennerly coming on. I always like to ask you, what did you do this past week? And you got out and saw some spring training. Oh, yes, finally. I went the whole week without going to see spring training baseball, and I loved it. Um, I took my dad on Sunday, which mm-hmm. was great to take him to a first game. And we haven't gone to a sporting event together in a year, so it was good. I mean, clearly, it was extremely safe. There was a, a thousand people in that, seems like, I don't know, 20. I mean, there's nobody <laughs> around you at all. Um, and it was, there's the the food options are very limited, but there's nobody in your section. I've been going to these games, these football games, and it, it, it just felt like that also. I mean, on Saturday, it was raining. I saw the Washington Nationals play Miami Marlins, and they only played like six and a half innings, and then they stopped yeah. the game. Uh, but it was exciting to see that. And then on Sunday, I saw St. Louis versus Houston. Uh, and it, uh, But it was interesting from the perspective of watching the, the Washington-Miami game, a couple takeaways. The Pittsburgh Pirates, which is my favorite, I, I mean, the Marte, Sterling Marte and Corey Dickerson play for the Marlins, and Josh Bell and Josh Harrison play for the Nationals. So four Pirates <laughs> that started two years ago with them are now starting on other teams, which, of course, the Pirates are going to be the worst. Start. Pirates might have the lowest over-under in the history of baseball. What is it right now? It's like 48. 
that is really low. Usually they get them at least like <laughs> 60 or so. Um, they are going to be the worst team in baseball, probably. You're really high on St. Louis, though, and I think there's good reason to be, and I don't know if they're going to be favored to win the division. I mean, it's usually a pretty competitive division. Red should be better. Milwaukee probably the favorite, but St. Louis is a force to be reckoned with. Well, I saw Adam Wainwright pitch. It's always exciting when you go to the games. It's like, who's going to start? And remember, get to those games early. You want to see the starter because by the seventh inning, everybody's gone. But Adam Wainwright started, and Wainwright was someone who they didn't think was even going to retire or be you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he's at 15 years, 167 wins, a 338 ERA. He pitched three innings. He gave up one hit, one run. The run was, it was so windy out there. He was lights out pitching. Lights out pitching. He was, I mean, and it was over. The first three innings were done in like 15 minutes. I mean, he literally gets the ball strike, gets the ball strike, gets the ball strike. Great to watch him. But the, what's exciting about the Cardinals is that it seems like they had like the Dexter Fowlers and some other players. This year, they have a, the great mix of the superstars. This is like, brings back to the Pujols years. They have Arenado from the Rockies, who was eight years gold gloves, but the last five years, 40 home runs, 125 RBIs. Always top five in MVP. And then Paul Goldschmidt, who was eight years at Arizona, one year last year or actually one year in St. Louis and then last year. I don't, you don't even, can't even count last, last year. Doesn't year. Count. Count, doesn't even count because you can't even look at stats. But if you look at the last, forget last year's 35 home runs, 100 RBIs. And they bat um, from uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt back-to-back in an order. I think it's, they're going to benefit from that. And then you have the older players like Molina at catcher, Carpenter. Molina is his 16th year Carpenter. But then you have, they finally have these young players. Like two years ago, you went to spring training. You're watching the Tyler O'Neills and the Dylan Carlson's and the Tommy Edmonds. These guys were like, whatever, wearing 99 for their number. But now they're they're playing and they're playing well. I am a big fan of the Cardinals. I think this team is ready to go. Now this is or couldn't saying. Wait, you have the Braves and of course you have the Dodgers. They're not the Dodgers. They're not the Braves, but they're good. And they're always well coached. They're always disciplined. They do things the right way. One thing that a lot of you know, we're very in touch with these St. Louis Cardinals here. Obviously, with their you know running Jupiter for two months a year, they're really disappointed with the loss of Colton Wong. They say you know he was such a good clubhouse guy, amazing defense, and he's going across you know the across division rivals to the Brewers. So that might slow him down a little bit. But yeah, this team's going to be nasty, especially with that three four of Arenado and Goldschmidt. Right. And people were asking about you know the Astros last year. Were they booing? Were the boo- it's it's so different now. I, I don't even think the fans, Altuve came up to bat. There were some boos, but then there's Correa, Brantley, and I think people forget who was part of the scandal or not. Yeah. Like, it's now been two years, and people, they remember Altuve and Correa, but should we boot Brantley? Was he on the team? Like, no one knows who's <laughs> with who, and they're on different teams. So I think the Astros sort of have, you know, survived the storm of the scandal of the banging of the trash cans, even though they now have Dusty Baker as their manager, and it's different. But I feel bad. The Astros are a shell of themselves without the pitching. They really don't have that pitching that they had when they had the Verlander and the Cole and the Granky, it was just an unbelievable lineup. So I think the Astros could do some damage in the playoffs, but not without without pitching. I, I don't. They have the hitters, and they look, but they lost Springer, so yeah. they're they're down a hitter. Um, I just they're not the team that they they the was two World Series in three years. The guy to watch out for is Jordan Alvarez, who was fantastic two years ago coming up as a rookie. Um, we'll see what he does now, and kind of like last year doesn't count, as you said. But that still should be a team to be reckoned with, and I don't really trust the AL Central. I mean, everyone's all in on the White Sox now. They weren't great last year in, the, in this shortened season. I still think the Astros are the team to beat there. Right, and the one interesting thing about spring training this year is a little different. There's five teams that only play each other. So, like, when you look to see what game you're going to go to, there's some days, this would never happen in years past, but there's some days 15 is, there's no, there's no game. Also, there's, there's only playing 40 guys. Like, there's not, there's no minor leaguers, so there's no split squads. You're not seeing anybody else, but you're literally, there's so, some days, one of the team doesn't play every day. There's five teams, there's three ballparks, so there's only four teams and two ballparks. So, yep. one team is sitting in one ballpark is dark every single day. Let's uh, move on to the NBA. All-Star game happened over the weekend, Ira, and 
it seems like a lot of people were really disenchanted or disenfranchised with this NBA All-Star game. Well, I was watching the All-Star game and the Meghan Markle interview at the same time, and I was just Important thinking stuff. I was just thinking to myself, it's like both of these are just like there's no competition. Like, I'm not competition. I mean, like, that's what I love about sports in terms of that when you look at a Bryson who's making a putt. Like, that's like, again, we relevate. That's why I love sports so much. I was thinking about how I can compare Meghan Markle and to sports. Because in sports, we have you have people that have the names and 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 someone's known and whatever, but they have to produce on the field. They get Tom Brady wins. Wins the Super Bowl. Bryson DeChambeau makes that putt to, to win the golf tournament. I mean, it, it's one of those things where you're. I just love the competition, and, I, and that's why I love music and I love plays and art. But there's nothing that beats sports because it's sports. Somebody is winning, it's somebody losing, and it, that's what it is. And it's not just the name. And it, I just love that aspect of sports. And I was just thinking to myself because that also gives a joke. I mean, it was unwatched. Just, some people say they enjoyed it. I just don't. They took 100, 221 shots, 133 three-pointers. There were 10 free throws. At some point, they were just jogging it down and just shooting from mid-half court. It's yeah. not a game. <laughs> I, I th- saw someone say there were like four shots that weren't either dunks or three-point shots. And it was in the beginning, they were missing dunks. And I mean, everyone, Giannis was 16 for 16 for 35 points. And I, I don't know what Durant was doing when he picked his team. LeBron, everybody knew. I mean, this is one All-Star game where I saw the odds. I mean, everyone knew. He had Giannis, then he had Curry, Steph Curry, Lillard, and Chris Paul, and LeBron didn't even play, and they still won. But it was even close. He won every, you go every quarter, and they win every quarter. So I thought also we had uh, Nick Elam on for the Elam ending, who came up with this idea that at the end of the game you put a number and try yeah. to do it instead of a time, and they don't give him credit for that. That was his idea. <laughs> they just say it's a target score, but I think it should be called Elam ending because he came up with this. He's been talking about it for twenty years. Yeah, no, he's a great <laughs> guest too. I feel bad that he's not there. So that was the All Star game, and I did like the fact that they put everything it does make more sense to have it all in the same because they had the dunk contest at halftime which was terrible so they didn't waste people time with the dunk contest but the three-point contest was great because that's the one thing that all the stars like Steph Curry and Mike Conley Jason Tatum Jalen Brown Donald Mitchell uh, they all entered and it was exciting because Curry went against at the end Curry versus Connolly and Curry struggled in the in the next of the, the the first round he scored 31 points was dominant but in that in the second round when he was against Connolly and Tatum he started missing some shots and he was that he was losing 27 to 26 with the last ball, which would count as two, and he made it to win 28-27. But he, if he would have missed it, he would have lost to Mike Connolly, the point guard for Utah. Uh, but it was exciting to see that. So I thought the three-point contest to me, when you have the great players, that's awesome. But uh, the the slam dunk contest, Anthony nice Simons from Portland won, and his dunks are terrible, and it, it's 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 really just a terrible, terrible. Did you happen to see LeBron's comments on? Obviously, the the two Jazz players got picked last. Did you happen to see LeBron's comments what on did that? He, say? he said, you know, when we were kids growing up, when we played video games, nobody would ever choose Utah, and that's kind of how we're, we're we're still have that in our heads. And I'm thinking you had Stockton and Malone back then, but I thought it was he he played it off as a joke. I thought it was kind of. I'm cute. telling you, Donovan. <laughs> Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell from Utah has been getting so much disrespect this entire year. I have a sense that well, during the playoffs, he's going to play the Lakers, and you're going to see him put like 70 points in a playoff game. Like, I'm, I'm, I hope so. I think Donovan Mitchell, this is rage that's going to be he's like, could someone show him some respect? I mean, they have, they had for most of the year the best record in the, in the West. He's playing. He was at, it was the last player pick for this, like in a pickup game, Donovan Mitchell pitch. 
coach. And I just think it's so sad. And, and Connolly, you see Connolly healthy now, playing great. Uh, Mitchell, uh, Rudy Gobert, yeah. uh, Quinn Snyder's doing a great job. I, yeah, again, I think this, this beating up on Utah is just awesome. <laughs> I do feel bad for him. I don't feel so bad for Blake Griffin going from Detroit, and he's now officially signed with the Brooklyn Nets. Ira, a lot of people on social media are all worked up about this. This isn't Blake Griffin of 10 years ago. He, this guy, he's going to be a bench player. And I don't put that much stock. This isn't taking Brooklyn over the top. It's a stupid move. I mean, I again, I am the, I am not going to, I want to bet like against Brooklyn because I just think everything they do, this makes no sense at all. So, he, yes, I mean, this was when he was at the Clippers for eight years, he was 25 points, uh, all the, you know, all these games, but he was a great player, one of the star players in the league, the Kia commercials. I mean, he's more commercials yeah. than you could imagine. But the last two years in, in Detroit, he's been injured and he hasn't played. He's injured this year. He hasn't dunked a basketball in two years. He's known for <laughs> and dunking. That's what he is. That's what he is. I mean, it's like, it's like if no, Nolan Ryan was known not to throw fastballs. I mean, it's not <laughs> Nolan Ryan, so in name only. But no dunks in two years. I mean, I don't know how many players there may be. And he's like six, seven, six, eight. It's it's shocking that he hasn't dunked in two years. The only thing that I think is amazing about this is, so I looked in my mind. I'm saying I've never heard of this team. And now you threw out another name, but the most money that a player is earned. Now forget the contracts, money that's owed in the future. We're saying earned right now at this moment. LeBron made threats, made 343 million in his career. Chris Paul 299. Durant is in third at 264, and then Melo is. 259. But Blake Griffin is at 7th at 227, 227 million. James Harden is at 224 million. Kyrie Irving is at 158 million. And DeAndre Jordan, only 149 million. You have five players that have made over 149 million now in their careers on the team. I mean, I hate to be the uh, the call-up reserve that who's going to buy, like, dinner? You know, like, you have five <laughs> players. It's a, over a billion dollars in career earnings from four players. Five it, players, five players. It, it's crazy, and yeah, there's really not... You can't name another team, really, that's had that. The only thing I could think of was the Yankees when they had A-Rod, Teixeira, and Jeter. Maybe something like that, but yeah, that's also was getting paid to them as they went. So who knows if they all had it then. Regardless, it's a little ridiculous. This is NBA salaries, though. It's to be expected. Uh, it's 7.40, Iron Sports. We are just about five minutes away from Russell Peltz joining us, a uh, famous promoter. He's going to have some good stuff here for Ira. College basketball rolls on, Ira. You're uh, Gonzaga. They just don't lose. And, and this is going to be a really fun team to watch come the 20. Well, I, this is the year for Gonzaga. They're going to play tonight at 9 o'clock against St. Mary's in the semifinals uh, of the West Coast Conference uh, Tournament. Uh, but Baylor uh, had good wins against West Virginia, Ohio, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech. Illinois beat Michigan and Ohio State. And this week, Michigan. Michigan, had Michigan. everyone has as a four seed, but they lost to Illinois and they lost to Michigan State. So this they beat Michigan State one game. But Michigan's had, they finally you know, had these a couple of losses. The Big Ten. I mean, we have talked. The Big Ten has not get an, got enough really love. I mean, there's been tournaments where they've all have nobody advanced to the the Sweet 16 or even the round of 32. But this year, there are so many. I mean, the second seeds. You're going to have Ohio State. You're going to have Iowa. It Wisconsin's a good team, and that's forgetting you know Illinois and Michigan, and then Michigan State is going to get in now. So they have a lot of good teams. It, it, the the Big Ten is someone, and then a team like Alabama this year. Uh, Nate Oates came from Buffalo done an amazing job with them it's as a second seed and then I, it, look and the fun thing is usually when we're saying who's the last in who's the lost out remember there's four games if you're on the 12th line the 12 seeds that are the, the that you're going to get in those teams play each other on Thursday Wednesday and Thursday because the tournament starts on Friday and these teams that are battling are Ruck, Indiana right now is 12 and 14 they're in the tournament now let's see what can Indiana do Duke is nine Duke is uh, nine and nine they 
Duke was terrible. They played Carolina. I watched that game. It was just, they were down by 20. They are dude, this is the worst Duke basketball team I've ever seen. But they're on the fence. And Kentucky is uh, like 8 and 9, and they have to win the entire tournament in order to get it or, or come close. But my point is that when I look at these, who's on the on the list? There's the Michigan State, the Louisville. But then you have the Colorado State, Boise State, Drake, Xavier, Utah State, St. Louis, Seton Hall, Memphis. I just have to think, I'm, I, I'm saying this, you're going to see Michigan State in those games, Syracuse, St. John's. In, like, if these teams can get in, they're going to put them in on those games on Thursday and Friday because they want ratings. This is important. This team, tournament has been not played for a whole year. They're not going to put Colorado State and Boise State in. I just don't think they will. They're going to put the big names, and they're going to be able to justify it by saying, oh, we don't know. They only played so few games, and this mm. means this, and they beat this. Everyone has all these oh, these predictors and this model and this model and this rating and this whatever. That's how they're going to get in. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, just about two minutes here, but let's try to get some of this uh, UFC in before we get to uh, to get to Russell Pelt. Um, this was a you thought this was going to be a great weekend, and pretty much it was. Oh, Saturday night, I could not. I was going nuts. <laughs> First of all, this match that no one talked about, this Drew Drober versus Law Makachev. Have heard about Makachev? Khabib this, this trains him, works with him, and he's like a junior Khabib. He is this grappler, and and Dober is a great fighter. It's a lightweight match, and Makachev is just like just like Khabib. He just he, he he grapples with him, puts him in different holds, knows had you know four or five holds more than other holds, and just made him submit. Just an amazing match. And now Makachev is now in this the lightweight division with Conor McGregor, Tony Ferguson, Khabib, Michael Chandler, uh, just Gaethje, Poirier. It's it's, a, it's the number one division. And now you put Makachev into this mix, it's going to be another just creating great fight after great fight. What about uh, Jan and Sterling here? Well, that was the fight that everyone's been talking about because Jan was the champion. He's number eight overall, pound for pound. Sterling was the number one contender. Jan's from Russia. Sterling's from New York. And the first couple rounds, they were just striking back and forth. Uh, Sterling, I thought Jan won the first. Jan won the second. I mean, Jan won the first. Sterling won the second. And the third, it seemed like Sterling was slowing down. Jan was dominating the fight. In the fourth, um, Jan was taking you know taking it to, to Sterling, was winning. Sterling was on the ground, on his knees, and really, it was like Jan had taken control, was going to win this fight and would defend his title. And he looked at his corner, and the corner said, when he's on the knees, he goes, one person said, hit him with the fist. Others said, hit him with his knee. But you can't knee someone when they're on the ground, when you're standing up as the rules, and he kneed him, knocked Sterling out, and uh, then he was disqualified. So they actually, he was up on the cards, 29-28, but then he was ruled out. He was ruled uh, disqualified. So he lost his title on a disqualification, which is pretty— You don't think it should be possible? I don't think you lose your title. You could say it's a no contest, but I don't think it's like a, like you have to pin. Like I'm come from the WWE days <laughs> when you don't lose your title unless you're pinned in the ring. Yeah. So I feel like <laughs> to win a title, especially now if he was losing, but if you're up on points on a disqualification, I don't think he should have lost. But they both ruled. Sterling has been great. Sterling said, "Look, I don't deserve this to be a win. I don't want. I want to win fair and square." They both they both said, "We'll re we'll have the rematch in a week." Like they were like, "Let's let's rematch." I mean, Sterling was found not to have a concussion, so he's okay to go. But they want to go, and I think it'll be great. So they build a fight, but but I got to give Sterling credit for saying, John, didn't, John said, look, I made a mistake. I was wrong in his corner. I, I got confused, these things. Um, but uh, for both, they both handled it very professionally afterwards, and I think it will be a, a great match in UFC 2-whatever, 72 or something. <laughs> very uh, admirable uh, from both of them. We do have more breaking news here. The Miami Dolphins have just traded for the Titans' 2021st overall pick, Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle. 
the pick number 21 overall, Titans cut him already. We're, we're going to cut him. He said his days were done. Miami acquired him, and they could always use offensive line help. So that'll be pretty nice. Wow. That's yeah, a, it wasn't, that's a little surprising. I'm wondering what they gave up. It couldn't have been more than a fourth rounder for someone who's basically done with the team anyway. But more details will come out from this. But Miami Dolphins add a, a first-round pick from last year to their offensive line. Let's go to Russell Peltz here on Ira on Sports. Russell, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Russell, it's on, it's an honor to have you on Iron Sports. I mean, we talk about the everyone's talking about royalty with uh, Meghan Markle and Harry. I mean, you are certainly <laughs> please, please. you are boxing royalty, International Boxing Hall of Fame, one of the most famed promoters in in, in the world. Uh, certainly in Philadelphia at the Blue Horizon, uh, the legend. Uh, it's just a, it's an honor to have you on the show. And and the reason we're having you on is the 50, 50 years ago tonight, you were somewhere where I would have. I was too young. I was a few years old, but I would wished I was there so about the Ali Frazier uh, fight it was the uh, um, privilege to have attended the greatest sporting event of my lifetime and um, and maybe the greatest social event of my lifetime it was just I don't think we'll I don't think there's anything even close to it and I don't think there ever again will be anything close to it in any sport well, people talk about, I think what made this so great was that there's some events there's big hype for, there's big buildup for, and then it doesn't live up to that. And there's others, well, after it happened, people say, like the miracle on ice. No one realized that the United States was going to beat Russia. After it happened, they're like, oh, that's the greatest thing. But there was not that buildup. This actually had the buildup and the event. So talk a little about what this buildup, why, why was this such a great buildup before Ollie and Frazier, two undefeated heavyweight champions? Well, number one, it was a great, a great matchup, but that's that's not even the, the first of all. Ali, in his time, was probably the most recognizable name on the planet, more well known than the Pope, even if that's sacrilegious saying that. So, people, three hundred million people watched this fight, either eighteen thousand in person and the rest on closed circuit television around the world. So you had people in Uganda people in the Canadian Rockies, people in Burma, people in Manila, people in, in Wales, every, the whole world. The whole world does not stop for the Super Bowl or the World Series or any, even the World Cup. Nothing is, was, will ever be like that night. You'll never get 300 million people worldwide to watch a sporting event like that. So Ollie it didn't was need, it didn't need any hype. It didn't need really any hype because everybody wanted to see it and boxing was still a major sport. On top of that, you had a divided country, not as violent as today, but you had the Vietnam War hawks and you had the anti Vietnam War people. You know, uh the conservatives backed Frazier and the Liberals backed Ali, even though Frazier was terribly miscast as an Uncle Tom. So Ali was the champion. He beat Liston twice, and, and he gives up. Well, he actually, he was suspended. He didn't give up his title, but he was suspended from fighting for three years. Frazier becomes the champion. So they were. it was unusual that you have a chance where Ali is challenging for a title, but he never had was beaten, never beat in the ring. So I think that's what, going into the fight, what were you, what were you thinking in terms of who was going to win? What was your thought about, how, about the fight? I thought Frazier was going to slaughter him because <laughs> Ali had been out three and a half years. He had gotten 
a quick win over Jerry Quarry, a fight that went three rounds on a cut. And then for the first 14 rounds of 15 with Oscar Bonavina, he looked terrible. But all people remembered was the 15th round when he knocked Bonavina out. But until then, he looked awful. And Frazier was at the peak of his career, and I thought he would knock Ali out. So the Garden... I think was only open two years, um, and we said we go to the garden now. There's things I don't like about it, but the point is, it was only open two years at the time, and and three, this this three. three years, three years, and it was. I see. On, I watched this on TV many, many times. It seems like everyone was dressed up in, in fancy dresses and and in suits. It was it was a little different than and and and, and how many celebrities? I mean, I don't. I can't. My I watched with my father, and he was like pointing out all around the ring, like every celebrity. I mean, I guess Frank Sinatra was actually just a photographer for Life magazine. And and you had Burt Lancaster, a great movie star, was broadcasting the fight. It was different than other sporting events, really. Well, like I said, boxing was still a major sport then, and this was like the biggest event of the time, and everybody who was anybody wanted to be there. Lancaster got the job because he was close with Jerry Parencio, the, uh, the actual man who put up the money for the fight, and Parencio insisted that he be one of the color analysts. Wow. And where did you, for the fight, where did you, like, where did you sit? How did you go there? Like, talk about, like, the night of the fight. Did, like, I just wanted to, I always go, I love going to sporting events. So it's always, that aspect of it is interesting. Yank Dorm, Frazier's trainer and manager, had given me a bunch of complimentary tickets he had gotten, and he wanted me to sell them so he could make some cash on the side. <laughs> um, he said he'd split the, whatever I got over face value, but I was only 24 and I'd only been in business for a year and a half. So I sold them all for face value, but one of them was a front row ticket for $150. It's about 1000 today. But I was, only, I was only making about $4,000 a year, and I was going through a dry spell. So I wound up selling the ticket to a friend of mine who ran a bar in Center City, and I went to the garden about a month ahead of time when they put the $20 seats on sale. We got there like at 6 on a Sunday night, and it snowed, and we stayed through the night until the box office opened the next morning at 8 o'clock. So I bought the two $20 tickets. I go to the fight that night, and I'm, I was the first row of the top level, and I had binoculars, and I'm trying to find my friend from the bar who was sitting on the front row, and I see him with Aretha Franklin and Diana Ross and Burt Lancaster and Frank Sinatra, and I said, what a jerk you are. You could have been down there yourself. So I always regret not not taking that ticket and giving Yank the 150 myself. Oh, my gosh. And you could have got, I wonder how, what kind of cameras did they have back in those days? Like, I don't know if you could have brought a camera in and took a picture. That would have been great pictures because uh, I love taking Yeah, you could have done it. As long as it didn't have a flash, you could do it. <laughs> Oh wow, that's that's amazing. And then was there was I I heard someone said that it seemed like it was, it was like everybody showed up like right before the fight. Like what was the timing? When did you get there super early? Were there preliminary fights? People don't even remember what fights were. Oh sure, I you I always get there early. Yeah, they, but the preliminary fights in those days when you had a big heavyweight championship fight, most of the preliminary fights were four and six rounds, and they would feature the sparring partners of Frazier against the sparring partners of Ali. And that they didn't spend much money on the undercard because they didn't need to. The main event was the draw. Wow. So the undercard was just so-so. 
And then a lot of people, I've been listening to, I've watched it, I feel that Frazier won, but what's your, what was your opinion in terms of the fight? I mean, a lot of people said it was a little closer. I know Frazier on the cards, 9-6, 11-4, 8-6, and 1. Uh, what was your feeling about the scoring of the fight and, uh, and, and how they scored it? Would you think the fight was closer, or do you think they got it right in terms of the, the numbers? Oh, they, well, the 11-4 was out of line. So you, you um, eight eight six one nine six. I mean, if if Ali wins the fifteenth round and doesn't get knocked down, he gets a draw on Mercanti's scorecard. Even though Mercanti might have given him an extra point on the supplemental system, the referee when he hurt uh, when he hurt uh, Ali in the eleventh round. Mm-hmm. So. That would have been, there would have been controversy if Ali had won the 15th round because the scores would have been 10-5, 8-7, and 7-7-1. And even if there's people today who think incredibly that Ali won, which he didn't, they would have had more reason to argue. But it was like the perfect ending to a perfect night. It was a great fight, a great event, a great crowd, and a perfect, it's like the cherry on top, the 15th round knockdown. They... You, you've known Joe Frazier from Philadelphia. It sort of seems like he hasn't got the respect in the boxing, considering the nemesis was Ali. But it's for someone who is who won the fight of the century, who won other major fights, was was uh, twenty nine and zero and the heavyweight champion of the world. It, it doesn't seem like he gets enough credit in history for being this great elite fighter. You know, Norman Mailer came out with a book after the fight. It said "Loser and Still Champion," meaning Ali. Um, Ali is like Notre Dame. It doesn't matter what city you go to. You're always going to find a ton. Like when Temple plays Notre Dame in Philly and sells out for about the only time of the season, you get 60,000 people there. 58,000 of them are rooting for Notre Dame, even though the game's played in Philly. It was the same way with Ali. He was just a universal and polarizing figure. And one last question. We have Russell Peltz, famed promoter uh, on the show right now to talk about the Ollie Frazier 50th anniversary. We're down here in West Palm Beach. I know you're familiar with Florida. Tell me about the boxing history of South Florida. I mean, in terms of, of you know, you've seen some of the, you know, of course, the Ollie Liston fight or whatever. But this, this has been a fairly good area for boxing and uh, right, maybe not so much right now, but, but has been in the past. Well, it was in the 50s and 60s when, Chris Dundee, Angelo's older brother, ran the Fifth, Fifth Street Gym and promoted fights uh, at the uh, Miami Beach Convention Hall, many of them on, on national television. Boxing has been slow in Florida in recent years. You know I'm in Boca Raton, right? Right. So it hasn't been that. I mean, there were big fights after Dundee passed away, like the first fight between uh, Aaron Pryor and Alexis Arguello. And I think the I think that was at the Orange Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. But um, you know, boxing isn't isn't what it used to be in any city, let alone Miami Beach. And the Cuban fighters who have infiltrated Florida in the last 15, 20 years have never really caught on with the uh, ticket buying public. So, you know, it struggles along now and then. You you get shows in Kissimmee, Kissimmee, or at um, the Mikasuki um, Casino, but those have been uh, probably the most steady fights in Florida in recent years. For years, you had Roy Jones fighting out of Pensacola, even though he rarely fought there. I had a fighter named Charles Brewer 
who won the super middleweight title in Tampa in 97. But as far as steady, steady like New York, like Philly, like Vegas, like Los Angeles, Miami's, uh, Florida has been a little bit out of it in recent years. Well, Russell, I really appreciate it. I know that you came on short notice to talk about this. I thank you for making the time. It was so, so enlightening. I, I'm, I'm jealous of you for being at this. This is something I would have loved to have been at. And uh, I appreciate you coming on I Run Sports. Really appreciate it. Hey, Ira, my pleasure. Have a good night. Great stuff from Russell Peltz here on Iron Sports. It's <laughs> really interesting stuff. I we got a couple of minutes left here. Let's go back to UFC for a second. Um, we didn't get to this, and it's Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson. A lot of people that are in the know kind of really liked Anderson here. I think she was like plus seven fifty, which is really good odds. And it turned out you think that Nunez kind of let her off the hook a little bit. Well, Amanda Nunez, uh, when they stood there, Anderson looked like a foot taller. And, and it looked like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a problem for Nunez. Nunez comes out and just knocks her on the ground and just puts her in a hold. Like, Nunez could have hit her, didn't want to hit her. And then afterwards, Nunez brings her baby out. He's just had a child. So she's holding the child. Anderson's like, whatever. It's like, Nunez is so good. Like, she is so much better than ever. I can't imagine it in a female sports. Like, she's better than Serena was mm-hmm. in tennis. Like, she is the greatest female athlete of all time. And she keeps seeing, like, I'm getting better. Now that I have a child, I want to keep fighting. <laughs> and this is unbelievable. I mean, remember, she's beat everybody. The Rouseys, when everyone says, oh, this is the challenger that someone's going to have. And Nunes just seems to be getting, she's just faster. She gets stronger. She can box. She can grapple. She can do everything. This, she's amazing. And that was, I'm just blown away by this fight. It's, it's hard to see who can who can challenge her at this point. And then we were really excited about uh, Blokowicz versus uh, Adesanya. And this uh, went pretty good, too. Well, Jan Blokowicz from Poland and Adesanya is from Nigeria. And... Uh, uh, and and, and Adesame was like ranked like two or second or third best pound for pound, 20 and 0. Uh, but he was coming up from the middleweight to the light heavyweight. And this is the classic when you're lighter going up heavy. He's really 200 pounds, whereas Jan was, walks around 220. And the first three rounds, it was like close because they were just standing there. And it seemed like Adesame was getting some punches in. Jan was getting a little slow. But finally, in the fourth and fifth, Jan just got him on the ground and just sort of he, Israel couldn't, couldn't get off. I mean, he just was unable to get. Uh, get up and wasn't able to make any moves. They call him Izzy. So Izzy was unable to get get up and make a move on the fourth or fifth round. I was shocked by the scoring. They really had Jan winning easily. Uh, but Izzy took, kept his title, but certainly the pound for pound. It was like one of those things where the lighter fighter fights the heavier fighter and the heavier fighter wins. Uh, before we uh, head out of here, let's talk a little bit of racing. Ira's uh, new favorite uh, pastime. Well, not only new favorite. I've been looking at the ratings the last couple of weeks, and NASCAR is great. NASCAR is doubling NBA, double the NBA on a yep. Sunday when they go head to head. The last three weeks, it's been the number one rated, and this isn't the Daytona 500. These are the other races that are like the Phoenix, the Homestead, the race that I was yeah. at in Florida, and uh, it's. I'm starting to get really into it. I thought this was this was an exciting race. I mean, this is Kyle Larson. One. Uh, what's what we're seeing is that all the Last year, the, the playoffs have 16 drivers, and now they've had four races, and three of those four drivers weren't even in the top 16 last year. Kyle Larson didn't even race last year. He was suspended for uh, a slur that he said uh, during a virtual race. He was uh, Chip Ganassi, fired him from the team, but Hendrick brought him, and he's a great young driver. His family is from, he's half Japanese. His, his actually grandparents were in an internment camp, so there's a, a story from that. But he's known as this phenomenal driver. He's had six wins, six years of six wins, but people said once he's with Hendrick, which is the Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Gordon crew that he would start winning and uh, it was like one of those things what I found exciting but this is a mile and a half oval just like Homestead was and really the last 
I guess, 30, 40 laps of the race. Larson, Kozlowski, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, uh, Martin Truex, and Chris Bell, they had, you had about five racers that were really in and out the entire time. It was really fun racing, uh, exciting to see what happened. And at the end, Larson was able to hold on and, and win. But it was exciting because you have Hamlin, Busch, Truex, and Bell. They're all Toyota cars. They're all doing great. And they're finally working well together in terms of uh, help, letting, letting someone not fighting for a position. But uh, I just thought that the racing, the last, I would say, the end of the race, I was calling my friends like oh, I don't want to watch NASCAR I said, the final 30 laps was really good because you could see them really this isn't like Daytona where they just sit and they just go around and around they were actually jockeying for positions and working really well interesting stuff a great show tonight what's your plan for this week what are you going to take in well, the Players' Championship is in in Jacksonville. I would like to. I've been up to it before. I'd like to go up to it again, and I'll probably catch a couple minor league games. But I definitely want to go to the Players for one or two for two days to see the Players' Championship. What are they doing fan wise? Um, I think that it's the same thing, more like that ten thousand fans. So yeah. we'll go there and uh, see how that situation. But I've enjoyed. I've been up there, been there twice. Followed Tiger there, and uh, just. It was amazing. When Tiger was there, it was going crazy. Um, but I'm, I'm pumped to see it. I mean, this is one of the, the premier events on the tour. So I like to go there for at least a couple of days and see that. Who are you going to follow if you go? Um, I, I, that's a good question. Uh, probably, <laughs> Rory? Rory, probably Rory, probably Justin Thomas, uh, Bryson. Uh, there's there's a lot to choose from when you're there. Brooks is, Kepka is not going to be yeah. in that. Um, we, we, t- we didn't ask uh, Ken about Brooks in the Honda. It doesn't look like he committed to it. But now with the knee injury, it's probably not going to be playing in the Honda, I would say because he pulled out of the Players' Championship. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, we are out of time, though. we got to thank uh, Ken Kennerly for popping by. Also, Russell Peltz. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.